Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode five of season two of Ted Lasso, and the title of this episode is Rainbow. So a lot of different things going on here. So we we get to see an insight into Nate. His character is evolving. He's starting to find himself, maybe not in the most positive ways. So we see him starting to build his confidence. Roy is still being a pundit, so he is still talking about soccer, and Ted really wants him to come coach. So we see what Roy is going to do if he's going to go down the path of coaching or if he's going to stay being a pundit. And then we also see Isaac kind of stumbling as a leader, really focusing on the negative attributes of what's going on with the team. And what's going to happen to him. And yeah, it's just, I, I really, really loved this. I love this episode. Like I thought that there, I think it's my favorite. I think, yeah, it might. Yes. Oh, it's so good. And the other thing that's really special about this episode is that there is a metaphor. There's a string of rom-coms throughout it. Mm -hmm. So, and we'll talk about the meaning behind that because Ted Ted has this really, the the theme is like believing that things are going to work out at the end and what kind of power that that has. Okay. Well, one thing (laughs) you and I disagree on Nate. I feel like we could talk (laughs) about Nate forever. And, but I did read something. And by the way, when I say like, I read something, it's like, I read it in a meme on Instagram, but uh, so I read something recently. Um, that basically when you really dislike characteristics in another person, it's like kind of the thing that you dislike about yourself the most. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about that with Nate because his need for external validation and lack of his own confidence in himself kills me. And yet I struggled with that, but I find Interesting. it so irritating. And yet that was a real struggle I had. Anyway, so Can I pause on this first. This is this is groundbreaking stuff right here, Virginia Martinez. Um and I wonder, I would love to hear from people who listen that have that same kind of visceral, if they have the same kind of visceral response to date, because I have a lot more sympathy towards him because I don't identify with him at all. And a lot of times throughout my life, I don't know if it's been a positive or negative thing when I see people who have a shell and that have this like exterior, they're scared to let people in. I feel really, I I just, I I give them a lot of grace because I know that they're probably hurting on the inside or Mm -hmm. like they just, they're just scared. Right. And, and I wasn't born with that. I'm just, I, I just myself all over the place. Like I don't know how other people, not to be, you know, whether it's a good or bad thing, but yeah, I don't have that same reaction to him, but it's, but, but I'm not like, I'm not like a type, I'm not a type three either. Like I'm a, I'm a, let's everybody come together and, you know, hold hands and think of cool ideas and whatever. 
Yeah. But like, even in this episode, he's part of the team. In the last Christmas episode, he's like giving Ted a picture of the two of them. He is part of the team. Ted Mm -hmm. saw potential in him, talent, said, there's more to you than just like restocking towels. I want your talent and brilliance on the coaching staff. So he was seen. So I think what And I don't know also if I find him a bit ungrateful when he's like, it's not enough to just keep doing a good job. He's like, I want to be famous. I want the free Nespresso machine. (laughs) And I I know that comes from a place of insecurity, right? Because maybe Ted's the first person in his life to say, hey, I see something in you. Mm -hmm. But the tough part is it's like- And then he forgot about him. I don't know. I disagree. I don't know. I mean, okay, let's not give away. Let's not give away future. But like, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's just really hard. He needs the constant hit of external validation to be reminded that he deserves to be there. But he deserves to be there. He got the role. He's in every meeting. He's being asked his opinion. So to me, it's like, this is, this is, this is corporate right here. This is the problem with leadership development, right? Like we spend so much effort building people up to get to that first level of leadership. But then once they get there, then they almost get forgotten about. And then they stumble all over the place and nobody talks to leaders. Nobody like tells them like how they could be better. No one tries to help them like figure themselves out. And yes, yes, you need personal responsibility. You need to go do that on your own. Okay. I get it. I get it. But I do, I do think it, I, I do think that Ted, I think that Ted has responsibility. He's, he's got, you know. Well, sure. I think, I think they see it kind of happening, but aren't addressing it. That I will give, but okay. This also reminded me of my favorite quote that I had to internalize as my motto. Ooh, comparison, comparison is the thief of joy. I had to really sit with that, believe it, make it my motto, remind myself of it in the workplace, because I was sort of raised to compare myself to others. And then if I wasn't the best, then I was a failure. That's not Mm. healthy. I'm I'm not doing that to my kids. Point being, though, (laughs) even if I wasn't jealous of other people, and sometimes I was, even if I wasn't jealous of other people, I would compare myself to them and think I wasn't enough. And I see that happening Mm. with Nate and Roy, right? Because if we look at these two parallel situations, Ted sees talent, coaching talent in Nate and gives him the opportunity. In this episode, Ted sees coaching talent in Roy and gives him the opportunity. Ted is not threatened by either one of them, actually would love to surround himself with people who are just as, if not more talented. Totally. Nate is threatened by Roy. He keeps comparing himself. And the joy of having that job, which he could have never imagined having, which is something supposedly that is a passion, is being taken away. Yeah. I, listen, we are going to debate this until we are blue in the face, and that is okay. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know. And again, I we have different life experiences. I was raised by, you know, a little, I was raised a little differently. My dad always would tell me that the best result of an event was a tie. <laughs> 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 oh, 
cheer for the underdog, hope for a tie. Like those are the weird, I mean, granted, I was psychotically competitive in sports and I had to learn to get that out of my system, but it, it does, the way that you are raised um, does influence your identity around like what like what competition is whenever you're working which in theory there there isn't really competition this like dog eat dog world maybe in some kind of like consulting firms that exist it shouldn't but in in the working world it's just i don't know it's just not the case Mm. okay what do you think about roy's journey in this episode Love it. I, um, I, I think so in this episode, Ted is kind of trying to get under Roy's skin. He's wanted him to become a coach and he knows that Roy has to figure it out on his own. But what Ted does is that they're having issues with Isaac because Isaac's coming like down way too hard on the team. He's making classic first time leader mistakes where he's telling everyone about their mistakes. He thinks like the harder he is on them, the better that they will perform, which is the exact opposite of human motivation. And so Ted goes and asks Roy to help out. And so I think that Ted was being strategic with Isaac to help him with his performance, but he was also trying to get it in with Roy. So Roy takes Isaac to the place that he played soccer, where soccer was fun and Isaac goes out there and he actually finds his joy with soccer again mm-hmm. and it bleeds, it bleeds into everything else that we do so um yeah like I I don't know I love it and I love and I love that we're about to see Roy really figure out like the things that bring him joy inside of his work that scene where he brings Isaac to the fields where Roy himself grew up playing is beautiful that whole whole thing and what you also witness is ted watching quietly and just in awe of roy's natural ability to to understand what someone needs create the moment for them to experience it versus just telling them hey go out there and have fun is very different than taking someone to a field to go play with amateurs and just have fun these amateurs mind you are amazing right and then to say the right things to motivate people. We see what Ted sees in that moment. And Ted himself is really impressed, right? And he, it's a kind of meta, right? Like Roy created this experience for Isaac to figure out what he needed Mm. to do. And Ted himself created this whole experience for Roy to figure out what it is that he's good at and wants to do. Um, I thought it was really lovely, you know, because, again, you can't just tell someone like, hey, you'd be a great coach or, hey, you should go out there and have fun. Sometimes people have to really experience that to say like, oh, yeah, I get it now. And so I really love that that whole scene. I love that concept that it's super meta, (laughs) like like Ted's pulling the strings of these experiences that he know that he knows is going to influence. And to your point, also, you can never tell people like human beings are in charge of whatever they're going to do you can't ever tell someone to go do this career path or learn this or change this behavior. It all has to happen internally. And I think for myself, when I was first learning about that, that was something that was really hard to internalize is that you have, even if it's your significant other, you have literally no control over what people do, what behaviors they have. The only thing you can do is take care of yourself and set the appropriate boundaries, right? Like even your children, 
even your children, you can never tell them like yeah. you need to behave this way and know that it, like it just it, it just doesn't work. But people still try to like grasp onto that control. Yeah. Or just actually, it also reminds me more like actions speak louder than words, right? This, this notion, I always, always love sharing this with my clients is like people's beliefs will change when their experiences change. You cannot email mm. your way through change. Doesn't matter what you put in that email. This is what we're going to do differently. And this is how we're changing. And here's what you can expect from us. People will continue to call bullshit until their day-to-day experiences in the workplace start to change. So yeah, send as many email as you want, but put your effort into actually shifting the experiences. So that is, it reminded me of that too. And like this, but anyway. No, that there there is so much to that. I used to, I I think that there's this old notion that if like leaders at the top of an organization make a decision, if they just have a very well articulated communication plan to the rest of their organization, that everyone will just get on board. And it's like, no, I love what no. you just said. Like people's beliefs will change when their experiences change. Like you want an engaged workforce engage them. If you want people to treat each other well, treat your leadership team well. Like you you have to do the things that you want to see out of the people, out of the humans that are working together that you also work with. Yeah. And humans are social creatures who learn through socialization. So, and what, and how that shows up in the workplace. And I forget if I talked about this in season one is that even starting at the very young age, observing how other people do stuff is you're like, oh, that's how you hold, I'm making this up, a carton of milk. Oh, that's how you play with Legos. Like observation, trial and error, seeing how other people do it, being around it is how you learn. And that is no different in the workplace. Like the norms, like you, th- I mean, it sounds silly, but like, okay, you all said business casual. How many of you have heard like our dress code is business casual? And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? Because everyone <laughs> dresses differently. Like business casual when I worked in Boston was meant something very different than when I worked in San Francisco. And I know this is a really stupid example, but the point being, you have to go in and observe to be like, oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Like here, when they say business casual, they mean just take off the tie, but keep the suit. And here where they say business casual, it's like sweatpants or whatever. So point being, now imagine every other thing that you're supposed to learn, grasp, navigate in the workplace happens through social norms. Like you're just like observation. So for better or worse, sometimes you're like observing things that are not correct, but you know what I mean? Totally. Or like not should be the shouldn't be the norm. And by the way, this is this is why I think hybrid is so hard. This is why I think it's so hard because those visual cues you once had of being around people, it's not that you don't get them, but they're not as serendipitous. And so it mm-hmm. takes you longer to figure out an organization's norms. That's it. Okay, I'm done. Oh no, you know I'm not gonna be able to pause on this topic. <laughs> so on hybrid work. The other problem with it is that companies just try to take everything that was happening in person and stick it on yeah. a computer, right? right? And it doesn't work like that. You have to be that much more intentional if you want to have a positive culture through a virtual environment. It's absolutely possible. And I can give you like a million different companies that are just knocking it out of the park. Like Butter, it's like this new version of Zoom. They do a great job with it. Um 
but but it's not you can't just it's like we are we are in a really bad situation right now where people are just in meetings all day long just having existential crises like in in work i mean it's it's broken and people really need to sit back and think about what does this look like in a hybrid environment and it can't just be sticking whatever was in person online like it's i don't know meet it's meeting yeah. start with if I don't know who's listening to this and needs to hear it right now, but start with your meetings and restructure them. Stop making them such bullshit. You don't need to do what Spotify just did and completely eradicate them, but you do need to be intentional about them. If you're having a bunch of bullshit meetings, make them not bullshit anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actions speak louder than words. Experiencing things makes you change your beliefs. Great. Okay. Love it. <laughs> Couldn't love it more. <laughs> love it Mark. love it love it um the other really just amazing thing about this episode are all it's the rom-com references there's a like a reference to when harry met sally there's a reference to bridget jones diary there's a there's a reference to notting hill there's a like so many and it's just makes this episode freaking delightful even in the last scene where roy runs out of his live on air quits his job and runs to the stadium it's like a very rom-com ending right it's just amazing um i think that's why this makes this my favorite episode <laughs> what is your favorite rom-com of all time i don't know if i can pick all time but um gosh i mean there was like a heyday of rom-coms you know um between like the mid eighties and like early two thousands, like that 20 year stretch. But I love speaking of like the last episode, the Christmas one, I love love actually. I know you're That's a big him. fan too. Um, I recently rewatched how to lose a guy in 10 days. Oh, was that a Christmas one or just a rom-com no. in general? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This is it wasn't Christmas rom. It wasn't this this episode wasn't like the Hallmark channel. It was just rom coms. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I haven't watched like Notting Hill in a while or all those Bridget Jones diaries. I'm waiting for my girls to be a little bit older to watch that stuff with them. Like I'm not like I don't freak out about them hearing bad words, but there's like a lot of like sex or sexual innuendo in them. <laughs> Which I'm not quite ready to sit down and watch with my, you know, eight and ten year old. <laughs> Remember the hol what holiday about you? was another. That was a good one. Well, definitely, um, I love love actually, and I really loved. Um, yeah, I loved the holiday, and and I liked Elf. I can, I think you could put uh, that as a rom com, like a rom. -com. Oh, I'm thinking Christmas too. That's a rom com Christmas. Yeah. You, you've combined episode four and five, but that's nice because you're narrowing down on Christmassy rom-coms. <laughs> we're, ni we're niching down. <laughs> if we're going down this path, then Scrooged, does that count as a rom-com or just a holiday Never comedy? Seen I don't know. Scrooge. What? It's on my list. Don't yell at me. With Bill Murray? No? Oh my God. Maybe. I don't, I just, I just, I just probably don't remember it off the top of my head. 
Okay, so speaking of niching down, our last topic that we are going to pull out of this episode is on building a brand. So mm. so this happens throughout the entire episode, but Nate really wants to take his parents and impress them at their restaurant, which he labels the restaurant my dad hates the least or complains the least about. And so he goes into this restaurant and he asks the hostess, he's like, hello, my name is Nate Shelley. Can I have this table? And she's like, no. And so he goes and he asks, Ask Keely to help him get a table. Keely takes him to Rebecca and then they start giving him these lessons on how to be assertive, like how to make yourself look big. And um, let me, I'm going to tell you a little bit more of what happens and then we're going to talk about building a personal brand. So then Nate learns these lessons. He's like, I'm going to make myself big. He takes his parents to the restaurant. The hostess still puts him in the corner and then he goes up to the bathroom and he like makes himself big, but a really important thing that happens here is that he doesn't just like do a power stance. He spits on himself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. So we get a really clear picture that that Nate doesn't like himself. He feels like the way to become successful is to be mean to Nate. And so he gets out of that bathroom and he goes to tells the hostess, we're going to go sit at the window seat. And she actually moves him. So what he did was effective. So, Mm -hmm. um, So let's talk about your thoughts on this. And then what do you think about branding? Is it still relevant today? Because that's a theme also is that niching down and becoming this very specific thing actually isn't, you know, isn't the way to go anymore. Well, when it comes to content creation. Yeah. So the theme of brand, I'll talk about Nate spitting in the mirror in just a second, but the the theme of brand also comes up. Rebecca's on the dating app and there's like, what's your Mm -hmm. brand going to be? And then she talks to Higgins and is like, oh, the best brand as being yourself. So it's like, how do you basically this notion of how do you want to present yourself in the world? And I had worked at a place that actually said a lot of what it took to get ahead was make sure that your brand internally was strong. And when I'd be like, what does that mean? Because like, is it my reputation? Is it what I'm known for? Like, what does that actually mean? And I think it is. It's like those associations people have with you. How do you make them feel? What do you remind them of? So I think that's that's how they're using brand here. Anyway, I love what you just said because I actually hadn't been thinking about it as Nate spitting on himself. That's a very interesting take, which is happening because he's staring in the mirror. But what stuck with me was, yes, instead of a power pose, and Rebecca did tell him, find what works for you. Mm-hmm. So we we knew it probably wasn't going to be another power pose, but that I guess it was very aggressive. I, you're like, oh, that's aggressive. Like, you know, there's no way to watch that scene and be like, oh, oh, that's what you chose. That's going to be your power move. And to your point, we see that's effective, which I think now in Nate's made this connection now, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, if I can be super aggressive then it'll i'll get what i want in the world Mm -hmm. and that worries me yep i think it happens more than we probably even realize yeah 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 but this idea of i'm just and he wasn't aggressive with the hostess no not at all but no, but it was something that like hit that quiet moment. He was like, you're Nate fucking Shelly. You know, like it yeah. was, <laughs> it was pretty rough. 
yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't love it. I mean, I was happy that he got the table. I was happy that he had a boost of confidence. I was happy that he was trying to make his parents happy. But I was like, ooh, this is not going to turn out well. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think of this as a really nice way because I think there's a lesson here. Um, and I'd love to hear your story on this. I'll tell mine first. Um, but like I, whenever you're, when you're young, you do go through that process where you think that to, at least I did, right? Because I'm, I'm different. I've got, I'm like, I'm kind of loud. I like to joke all the time. And, and, you know, we, I started in corporate America in 2007. So it was a little bit different of a world than it is right now, where it's like, you had to like, you had to look a certain way and you had to do certain things. Whereas now it's, it's more, you could be yourself a little bit easier. Right. Um, so I, I would try to put on that mask. Like at one point in time, I dyed my hair. I would always wear like tall heels to like look like I was taller, make myself look bigger. And it took me a long time to like get comfortable in my own skin and realize that like me just being myself was, was totally me being my goofy self. And I, and that's weird too, because I do leadership development and people are always like, well, leaders need to be stern and they need to be this and this. I'm like, no, they don't. They just need to be human. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I think it took a lot of people around me, like reminding me and like telling me that I was safe to be myself and to like, and that myself was okay because I was trying to hide myself for so long. But we have a very, you have a, you talk about this all the time. We have a very outdated mental model of what leadership is. And it's very stereotypical in a way that benefits what we would call quote unquote traditional, like male characteristics, mm -hmm. right? Like aggressive, stern, hard driving, direct. It's like, yeah, good luck being a woman and behaving that way. Like you'd be, you're going to be called a bitch on day one. Right. So right. these, this mental model we have of leadership actually only really help is beneficial to men and product. And I would say white men more specifically. Right. And so there's that. I think, yeah, and Nate is struggling with his mental model of what is leadership and his brand. And we saw earlier in the episode when, like, you know, they were talking about Isaac and 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 what what are we going to do about him? And Ted says, well, Isaac's a big dog. We're going to need another big dog to talk to mm -hmm. him. And Nate's like, OK, I'll talk to him. And everyone kind of chuckles like one, Nate is lack self-awareness or if he is truly a big dog, he's not showing it he's holding back and two like in that scene he re recognized oh that's not my brand i guess you know what i mean like he, th they didn't say that but this whole episode is about brand so i think he started to recognize like what is my brand like am i this pushover am i whatever and he didn't like that right he wants to he went to keely like how do i become famous like he is thinking about his personality how he's being experienced mm -hmm. And then he sees, Nate sees Roy, who has a brand. And it's like, I think one that he wishes he had. And so now he feels like in direct competition. And, and this is really, really important. So one of the reasons why people are reluctant to go into team leadership roles is because of leadership identity. So whenever you do not see versions of leadership around you that fit into who you are. So what norm, they've done longitudinal studies on this of like 20 to 30 years, what gets promoted is extroversion 
usually assertive mm-hmm. males that are tall. And and the other thing that's interesting there is is coming from a high socioeconomic status because you have seen someone in your family go on to lead mm-hmm. a company. So you think it's possible, right? If you are not those things, then you don't feel like you're qualified for leadership, even though you might be the most capable person. And if there's people around you, if you don't have introverted leader, introverted leaders around you, you're going to think, well, then that's not leadership. Or if you don't have female leaders around you that are actually like warm, like like females that haven't like tried to act like a man to be a leader, you're you're not going to relate to that. So if like you don't see yourself in leaders, then you don't want to go into that role. So like Nate is judging himself based on an outdated paradigm because he doesn't understand that that's not leadership anymore. Okay. I agree with you. No, no, no. I, I agree with you that this is what's happening in most companies that you don't see a form of leadership that resonates. And so suddenly you feel like you have to change yourself or be performative or behave a certain way to get promoted or fit in, et cetera. However, here's where I do disagree with you. Nate has Ted's leadership style. Nate has sees Beard's leadership style. Nate sees um, Higgins. Higgins. Nate sees Rebecca and Keely. Okay. He saw how Jamie Tart commanded the room, which is was not a good way. And Roy and Isaac. So he is actively choosing, I think for all, and this is where we come back in agreement, he is actively choosing to believe that an aggressive leadership style is what is going to demand respect. And we see this because he has never played soccer or football, right? But he's a huge fan. He's got a strategic, creative brain to think about all these plays. And he understands the strengths of the players. So that's the strength he brings. But he is mean to the players. We see this throughout Mm -hmm. Ever since he gets promoted, he's really rude. Totally. Why? Why does he choose that when all of the examples around him don't do that? If you are not skilled to understand that what Beard and Higgins are doing is leadership, then you're not, then I don't think Nate sees Beard or Higgins as leaders because he doesn't have the worldview to be able to understand the way that they influence a group of people. And he's grown up with an authoritative father figure, right? And so like, that's also what he associates with leaders. So it's this whole like, people are not capable on their own. You need to be hard on them that he like, I mean, like, let's face it, the, the way that we see the world we're in charge of, we, we, we like to see and we like to, you know, pull out the things that we want to pull out. So his mental model is that of Roy's a leader, Isaac's a leader, Jamie Tart's a leader, Ted's a leader. They're all like extroverted. Like he, I just don't, anyways, we can debate Nate all day long, but I just, I, I just don't think he, I don't think he has the skills and I don't think that Ted is helping him understand his new role. And he's also a little bit of a, he's an insecure little asshole, but so are all machismo dudes that are out there. They're just like little tiny men inside. So, and that's what Nate represents. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, again, I mean, how we started this out is like, I think the stuff that like bothers me to my core about Nate, if I'm really honest, are things that I once struggled with. Right. So I get it. I get it. Um, all right. So it wraps up with Roy coming back, which is amazing. One of the most just beautiful endings. And um, 
But we do see this is like a turning of the tide. We see Nate's expression when Roy walks back on the field. And to your Mm -hmm. point that you just said, like, is Ted paying attention enough to see how Nate's confidence is being rocked? Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll see. All right. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.